Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Mike's on. He's ready to go. On the fan. New York Sports Radio. Mike's on. Mike's on. And on this Wednesday evening of the 17th day of June, we come to you as always, brought to you by Casamigos Tequila, brought to you by those who drink it. Uh, Maybe a little bit of optimism. I'm even tired of talking about it with the baseball. You know, call us when they get something done. And it sounds like they want to get something done. I mean, uh, they've pushed the, through as far as they can. They're trying to, you know, it sounds like the players are going to win. If they if there's going to be a, a concession, it looks like the owners are going to make it. Uh, the owners will get their extra playoffs. The players get their money. That looks like, but we'll probably play somewhere around a ridiculous 60-game season. That's what it looks like. Uh, but it sounds like uh, it sounds like they're moving in the right direction now. So, again, kind of tired of talking about it, to be honest with you. When they play, call us. A um, couple of things. Number one, uh, Friday night we'll preview the Belmont, which comes your way Saturday. No fans. Uh, and there had been some thoughts of letting owners in. No. Um, it's not your typical Belmont. It's not a mile and a half. Uh, it's a mile and an eighth. It has to be because it's the first of the Triple Crown races this year. Hey, why shouldn't it be a strange year? Everything else is. Um, it's not a great field. There's been a lot of uh, reasons why. But the big horse, there's some good horses there. Tis the Law is a horse that I, uh, the Sacatoga Stable horse, I have seen uh, last summer. Very, very impressive in person. Uh, Stormbreaker's maiden. Uh, thought he had a chance to be a great horse. Uh, still do. Uh, he's a wonderful, wonderful talent. Uh, we'll see how he does as the heavy favorite. I think he will win. Uh, there's a couple of the very good horses in the race. There always are. Um, and there's a couple of uh, horses that have a chance at a price. We'll get to that. But as I said, we will analyze that on Friday for you. We will have that and the whole Belmont card for you as far as it. Uh, I mean, it's a very good day of racing. You have um, 
one, two, three, four, five stakes. You don't have as many stakes as in the past. You don't have as many rich races. They can't. They can't afford it. I mean, but but they're giving you a good card. You got the Belmont. You got the Jiper. You got the uh, Acorn. You have uh, a couple of turf uh, turf races. One at a mile. Two at a mile. Uh, so. You got a good day of racing, a very good day of racing, as a matter of fact, and uh, we'll take it all from there. But again, we'll wait until Friday to get to the Belmont stuff. Uh, they will preview that on Friday. The golf, which did very well, was well received, did very well uh, uh, in in the ratings. Uh, people were interested in it because, hey, really the only game in town for the most part. Back in action this week, still no Tiger, uh, Hilton Head. Down there on that very scenic track, the RBC Heritage. Good field again. You got some very good young players. Uh, you had a great, great, you know, uh, competition last week. A lot of wild stuff. I mean, when you see guys making 50-footers, then missing, you know, three-footers, then making 40-footers for bogey and 26-footers for birdie, and then missing a two-footer. Now, when Shoffley missed a two-footer, I don't think he did anything wrong. You know, sometimes you put it in the cup and it spins out. I don't think he did anything except put it in the back of the cup. It just didn't go in. I mean, sometimes it just doesn't go in. Uh, and uh, uh, that was obviously costly to him. Uh, Murakawa, who's going to be a very good player, had his chances. He's got to shake that off. Uh, he'll get a lot of attention. He's a, a star in the making. Um, Dustin Johnson's playing. Rory's playing. Uh, Rory's the favorite. Uh, um, Rom is playing. Uh, Thomas is playing. Um, I'm going with DeChambeau, 14 to 1. And I thought he played very well last week. I think he's playing well right now. I don't like how beefed up he's got. You know, he's made himself very big. He's working out three times a day. He's drinking all these protein drinks. He wants to be able to hit the ball a mile. I mean, that's his thing. You know, you know how he, scientific he is about everything. Um, but he played really well, and he had a couple of putts that if they had fallen, and they easily could have, including one on 18, he could have been in the playoff a better. Uh, he played really well. He's played well at Hilton Head in the past. He's 14 to 1. I think he's got a real big chance this week. And then my long shot this week, is uh, a journeyman. And this, I would play this guy two ways. I play him to finish in the top five, where he's going to give you 12 to 1 in the top five, and he's going to give you 60 to 1 overall. Jason Cockrack, who played very well last week, has had his moments at Hilton Head, and I think is playing very good golf. I think he's on a bit of a run right now. Um, listen, it would be a big shocking win. Like I said, he's 60 to 1. Um, but he played really well last week. He actually had, in the midst of his hot streak, he actually had one lip out. Uh, so there was a lot of that last week. Uh, and, you know, that's golf. I mean, it really is. And there, there just seemed to be a lot of them uh, for one tournament. Uh, I can think of four or five of them. And, you know, look how close Rose came to uh, forcing his way into the playoff. He just had one just miss uh, on 18. So uh, it'll be another very competitive uh, competition. Um, it's a scenic one. They did a nice job last week. This week it'll uh, have some company because, as we said, a lot of eyes will be on Belmont on Saturday. Uh, and then, obviously, Hilton Head will finish up on Father's Day, which is this Sunday. So nice way to finish up 
and again, uh, there'll be a lot of attention paid to the golf. So I'm going with the rather, I don't know if you want to call him eccentric or whatever you want to call it, DeChambeau. He's, uh, you know, different, that's for sure. And, uh, but he's getting better and better, and he's hitting it far, and he's, the rest of his game is good, and he's competing, and I think he might be ready to break out and win at 14-1. to 1. So uh, he's my... Pick and then I give you my long shot, which is Cockrock this week at 60 to 1, and I would play him in the top five also at 12 to 1. So uh, that works pretty good. Um, to Bernie and to Mickey on this day of the 17th, uh, two big days for them, as a matter of fact. Big days, big years. 2000, on this day, uh, June 17th. 2000 Yankees lost in uh, for Bernie. Yankees lost to the Sox 10-9. Bernie went four for four with two doubles, a homer, seven RBIs, and three runs scored. How about that? Four for four, two doubles, a homer, seven RBIs, and three runs scored. Um, Bernie went to 1361 on the season. He had 61 RBIs on June 17th, and that year finished up. In 2000, finished up with his best power numbers. He had 30 homers, which all-time high. Had 121 RBIs, all-time high. Uh, batted 307, had a great year. Uh, and think about it, at 61 RBIs, 60, 13 homers and 61 RBIs on June 17th. Now, just to give a, an example, for the June 17th, 61, it's for Mickey they lost to the Tigers, who were a great team in 61. You know, the Tigers won 100 games in 61. Finished second, but won 100 games. They lost to the Tigers 12-10. At this point in the season, the Tigers had a big, better record. Mickey went one for three with two walks. He scored twice. He had three RBIs. He hit his 20th homer. In the same game, Roger hit his 23rd homer. Mickey had 48 RBIs. Went on his way to, obviously, 54 homers to Roger 61. They both had great seasons. Mickey was hitting 300 with a 419 on base percentage, uh, but this was home run number 20 on the eve- on the uh, year. And in the same game, Roger hit number 23. So uh, at this point, Roger had come from behind to move ahead of Mickey, um, and you know they went after it until Mickey finally uh, gave up after abscessing that hip and taking that shot from Doctor Feelgood that didn't work. Uh, he was recommended to him by Mel Allen, and yeah, he took a shot because he wasn't feeling well. And he was still on run down, so he took a shot, and his whole hip abscessed. It was ugly. Uh, if you saw the movie 61, you saw the whole thing. Um, and he bowed out of the race that last week of the season with 54 homers. But on this date, he hit his 20th as they played the Tigers. And the games against the Tigers were big in that year. I mean, those were, those were big, uh, big games. Tigers were led by um, were led by uh, K line and uh, Bunning, really good players. I mean, uh, exceptional players, and they had a great season. Won a hundred games, but no wild card at this time. The Tigers were forty and twenty two. The Yankees were thirty seven and twenty three. Uh, Tigers had a heck of a team. Really did. Um, they they had a. Uh, a team that was good enough, really was good enough to uh, win the World Series that year. The problem was, you know, you run into a team, you know, you run into a team like the Yankees, and 
who had in '61 one of the best teams they ever had. You had for the Tigers, you had Jake Wood, you had uh, Bill uh, Bruton in center field, you had K Line. K Line in this game on this night against the Yankees when the they, uh, Tigers beat the Yankees 12 10 in the Tiger Stadium behind Paul Foytak. Um, K Line went four for five with three runs scored and five RBIs. Uh, he homered. The Yankees had, I mean, Kalen was batting third. Rocky Calavito, who you know very well, the great arm, later played for the Yankees, power hitter. Rocky Calavito uh, batted a cleanup. Norm Cash, who had a huge year in 1961, hit 363 in 1961. Um, Norm Cash had an enormous season. At this point, he was hitting 365. Uh, Chico Fernandez, Ozzy Virgil, Don Mossy, if you've ever seen the Don Mossy baseball card, he's the guy who has the ears that stick out. Those Don Mossy baseball cards as a kid, that was Don Mossy. Um, Paul Foytek pitched in that game too. Um, for the Yankees, you had the uh, typical the typical Yankee lineup, the Yankee lineup that you got so used to uh, in that season of, of uh, 61 uh, that was, you know, uh, at this point, though, a little difficult. You had Boyer batting first in this game, Kubek batting second. Usually it was Kubek batting first and Richardson batting second. But Richardson was slumping, so it was Boyer batting first, Kubek batting second. Roger had been moved at this point ahead of Mickey when, that's when he went on his tear. Mickey, early in the season, was on a tear. He was in front of Roger. Once they put Roger in front of Mickey, he took off. Elston Howard, who was only hitting 363. Think about it. You got Roger who has 23 homers at the moment. You got Mickey behind him, who's got 20 homers. And then the guy hitting behind them is Elston Howard. All he is as a catcher is hitting 365. And then behind him, Muscarin already had 40 RBIs. 40 RBIs on the season at this point. I mean, these guys, and then Bob Serve, who was the third outfielder. If you've ever seen 61, they all lived together. Serve, Maris, and Mantle. Bob Serve was on that team. Then Bobby Richardson, of course. And Bud Daly, if you remember Bud Daly. If you ever had the 61 baseball cards, you remember Bud Daly's name. You remember all these names. Bud Daly, Raleigh Sheldon, Bob Turley, uh, Tex Clevenger, Johnny Blanchard, the classic pinch hitter, Hector Lopez, uh, all these guys who were a part of that great team. So it was big years for both guys, big nights for both guys, especially for Bernie. who had seven RBIs, uh, two doubles and a home and seven RBIs going four for four in that game on his way to the best season he ever had with 30 homers and 121 RBIs. We'll get to your calls, whatever's on your mind. Um, a couple of things. There are reports of some moderate success in baseball, that they're moving in the right direction. You're going to hear that until they get a deal. You know when they get a deal? When they tell you get a deal. Because as, as, men, as much animosity as there is between these two, any little thing can blow them back up. I think they both realize they're at the point where they have to do it now if they're going to do it. Uh, so I think they are on their best behavior uh, but we'll see what happens as we go forward. And I'll tell you, one thing you're finding, though, with all these sports, especially the team sports, you know, golf is a much easier lift for them. They're playing outside. They have plenty of room. They're individual contractors. They travel themselves. 
They're responsible for their own travel. They take care of their own stuff, their own schedule, their own people, everything else. Um, from that standpoint, it's a lot easier from a logistical standpoint and in terms of having to deal with the whole idea of moving a franchise and moving teams and moving people inside a franchise. So uh, all that is a very, very big issue. And then you got the issue of uh, exactly how many positives can a team withstand at one time? Can a league withstand when is the credibility damaged by that? So that's always going to be an issue. And as they move, you know, in baseball, let's say, where they want to move around. Again, as they move to cities where it is spiking, that's an issue also. So, you know, they're moving, they, you know, they got this three-game schedule scheduled somewhere, and they're moving into a place where the airport closes down. Now, they... Uh, they fly to where they can probably get their jet in. That's fine. But it just sets a bad tone all the way around. So you wait and see. And, you know, you've heard reactions from the NBA players that hasn't been overly positive, too. They've been worried about a lot of things. As far as football, you've already had players test positive on the Texans, Cowboys, Ezekiel Elliott as an example. So already, before they even get started, you've had that happen. So again, another issue. Then you had uh, John Hobo complaining about, hey, I can't deal with all these protocols and coach my team. I mean, some states have put in incredible uh, protocols. I know with my kids' camp, they put, my kids went away to camp outside the state. It was New Hampshire for camp. And New Hampshire put in such stringent protocols to the camp that the camp couldn't, couldn't do it. They just couldn't get it done. They had to cancel the camp for the summer. And this is in the middle of nowhere. This is out in, you know, out in the uh, wide open land. I mean, where it's really, it's on a lake. It's in the middle of nowhere. And they still couldn't do it because they were going to make it so strict as to how the uh, camp was going to be maintained, who was allowed in, how many of you were going to have to test the, the uh, uh, kids before camp, were they going to be tested during camp? Were they going to be allowed to have the interaction they usually have camp to camp and all the other different things? And instead, they just cancel it. You know, one thing with the NFL is, uh, is, is Kaepernick, and I would say this. I will be extremely surprised if Kaepernick's back in the league by, before Labor Day. I'll be very surprised if he's not. I think he will be. Now, does that mean that I think somebody's just going to hand him a job? I think there are, I think the league wants him to be in there. I think they want him in the league now. I don't think there's any doubt that if he's in shape, he's good enough to be a backup quarterback in this league. I mean, the guy came within a couple of plays of winning a Super Bowl. He hasn't played in a couple of years, and his last couple of years he didn't distinguish himself. I think he's 6-19 and 19 in his last 25 starts, something like that. But I do think he'll be back in the league this year. There had been talk of Seattle, but, you know, if he goes to Seattle, he's not playing. Not playing, not for any reason, because Pete Carroll has said very nice things about it, but because he's behind a Hall of Fame quarterback. The only way he's playing is if he gets hurt. 
behind a guy who's going to go to the Hall of Fame one day, unless something strange happens, and Russell Wilson. But now it sounds like there's teams that want him. So um, I would be very surprised if he does not take a job in the league in the very near future. I, I, I would think that's in his plan. Now, again, he now has a lot of opportunities open to him. There's no question. So he might be, he might have other, other plans now, other ideas, other things that he thinks are more important than playing football. I don't know. That I don't know. But I think if he wants to, let me put it this way, if he wants to play football, then I think he will play football. Um, as we mentioned with the, uh, at the Belmont, which will go Saturday at a mile and an eighth, We'll preview that on Friday. We'll preview all the races on the card that day. There had been reports on television that they were going, as a matter of fact, they ran a promo that was incorrect. I just heard it a couple of, while, a couple of minutes ago, which said that they were going to run the Belmont at 2.45. They are not. The first race is 11.45, and they are going to run the Belmont at 5.42. There had been reports for some reason, I don't know where Listen, there's a lot of stuff. Information just gets out now that's just not that good. But there, I, I saw a promo on television during a commercial. I was uh, watching it, and they said uh, Belmont will be run at 245. It will not. It will be run at 542. Okay, that'll be uh, the race. first race of the day is 1145 on Saturday. Now, there's no, no fans to the track, but you can still, you know, obviously you have multiple places to wager on the races. Um, you have uh, 12 races on the card. Uh, you have the second race will be the Woody Stevens, which is a very good sprint race. Um, very, you got a couple of very, very fast horses in there, as always. You have uh, Panin Ridge, which is a turf, sprint, uh, turf uh, mild turf race. Then you have the Wonder again. Then you have the Acorn. You have the Jaipur, which is six furlongs uh, on the turf. And uh, if you know turf sprinting, you know that uh, that uh, Clement always has some good ones, and he's had a couple of really good ones from the same barn. Pure Sensation will still run, and he's a very talented, very, very talented uh, sprinter. Been a very, very successful one. And then the Belmont will go off at 542, and it will be run at a mile and an eighth. And obviously the favorite uh, will be Tis the Law, written by Franco. Uh, you have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten horses in the race. Um, you have Tap it, Tap it to Win, Mark Cassie's horse, from Live Oak uh, on the rail. You have Solo, Valente, Max Player, Modernist, Mod Source that's got a chance and got to run real well. Uh, Farmington Road, which is a Pletcher horse, Quality Road. You have uh, Four Left, 
which is out of the, uh, you know, Doug O'Neill out of the Redham Racing, which has had a lot of success in these races. Uh, Jungle Runner from Calumet. Uh, his The Law will be the heavy favorite. Dr. Post, another quality road from Pletcher and St. Elias. Uh, and uh, then Pneumatic. So, um, solid field. Not an overwhelming field, but a solid field. And again, heavy favorite. Uh, I think... I think Tis the Law will be four to five in this race. He deserves to be four to five. Uh, the horse has shown really and a lot. You know, the horse has uh, shown a tremendous amount of ability so far. Has done everything right. Is very, very impressive. Has been vi- visually impressive, uh, and. Uh, Deserves to be and has earned the right to be a heavy favorite and has a chance to have a very big year. Uh, just like uh, they did with Funnyside, uh, Sakatoga Stable is back all these years later. You know, they didn't just get one of these. They got maybe two of these because they, obviously they got a, one that changed their lives with, uh, with Funnyside. And now they have another in the uh, Son of Constitution uh, out of a Tisnow mayor that uh, tis the law. So uh, very, very impressive. Get a constitution out of a tis now mayor, tis the law. So um, aptly named and a very, very... Mayor's face using video chat. I've used this to connect with family members and friends, and there's nothing better than seeing my friend's face when I turn over pocket aces. Try it out today by downloading the Poker Face app. Bring poker nights to your living room even while you are self-isolating. Poker Face, download it today. All right, the uh, phones are hopefully back. They tell me they are, so we'll give it a try. Richard in Manhattan, what's up, Richard? Mike, who do you want to talk about? Daryl Royal, Tony Dorsett, or Mike? I don't Cole? care. Just, just ask a question. All right, Daryl Royal. In the decade of the 60s, he beat, in, in, the, in the bowl games, Starbuck, Namath, and Geisman. Can you name me one quarterback in the 60s or one wide receiver in the 1960s, or one running back in the 1960s from the University of Texas who made it as a pro? The, te- the, the, first of all, Texas football, though, was, uh, I mean, they had great players. I mean, the guy, but, 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 but come on, wait a second. But Richard, 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 Richard. You're talking about a place. You, you, you're comparing, and thanks for the call, Navy playing Texas. I mean, Navy was a one-man team. Texas had 200 players try out for the team. They had players from all over the state. The state produced hundreds and hundreds of Division I football players. They had Tommy Nobis. They had, you, know, you, you couldn't start there until you were a senior. They were so loaded on defense. I mean, what happened was Royal took over and then had a good run, and then he had a bad run in the middle of the 60s, and then he went to the wishbone and had a really good run. But when he won the national championships, the second two, he won them with the wishbone. So, I mean, they didn't have quarterbacks and wide receivers. They had a quarterback named Street, if you remember, when they beat Arkansas in the game that was the game that wind up to be determined in the national championship. Because remember, in those days, the national champion was determined before the bowl games, not after. So the bowls were an aside after. Remember, Notre Dame just started going back to bowl games. They went and played Texas. It was the first time they'd been to a bowl game in a million years. Uh, but... 
Nixon was the one who declared Texas, Texas because they were undefeated. The other undefeated was Penn State. Penn State was furious that they weren't considered the national champion. So, I mean, it was a different world. The wishbone, when Royal was at the top of his game, the wishbone was their offense. So they weren't going to have quarterbacks who passed or wide receivers. They were a running team. That's what they did. They ran. As a matter of fact, they had a big, a big thrower who they demoted and gave the job to Street because Street was a guy who could run the wishbone. That was the idea. I mean, in those days, and then everybody went to it. Alabama went to it with Bear Bryant because he started to recruit black players. He had gone through a lean period too, so he started to recruit black players. Okay, Bear took a beating from USC once just so that he could get as many black players as he wanted into the school. He had USC come to Birmingham and beat their brains in just because he wanted to prove a point. Hey, if I can't recruit those players, we're not going to be a championship team. They started recruiting black players. They went on a huge run and won a bunch of national championships. He went to the wishbone. Um, Oklahoma, obviously, went to the wishbone, won 30-something games in a row. Bob and Vero Beach, what's up, Bob? Oh, uh, hey, Mike. What's happening? Um, you mentioned the 61 Yankees earlier. Yes. Can I talk about them? Yeah, go ahead. So Louis Arroyo, I was nine years old that year, uh, so I don't right. recall too much about the games. You know, but, uh, so I think his record was like fifteen and five. Fifteen and four, I believe. Yes. Yeah, something like that. And right. he was a relief pitcher. Now, was he was he a classic example of the uh, so-called five o'clock lightning, where he was getting the wins? No, no. He he finished a lot of Ford's games, which is what you know. He was kind of so why would he, why would he get the win? Well, he did win games. He was in a lot of games. So they were game. he didn't win Whitey's games. He kind of saved Whitey's games. Whitey won 25 games. Whitey, oh, won, 20, 25 Whitey won 25 and 4. So, but Louie, you know, relief pitches, you know. But, well, you so did Ron Perry. You know, if, if you go look at Ron Paranowski in 63, was 16 and 3. So if you go look at Elroy Face, Elroy Face for the Pirates uh, in 60, I think, was 19 and 1. So these guys used to come in and pitch, and they'd pitch a couple innings, and they'd be in the game, they'd be in a tie game, and they'd get a lot of wins. So well, it, 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 it happened a lot. You had a lot of those relief pitches that got a lot of wins in those days. Well, the, the term, you've heard of the term 5 o'clock lightning, right? Yeah, but that meant the Yankees were behind. They came back and hit a home run. I mean, but, they, but, the, but the, 60, the 61 Yankees weren't behind very often. You know, the 61 team had great pitching, had great defense. Uh, now, they did have to beat the Tigers, who won 100 games. The, ti- the Tigers won 100 games and finished second. But the 61 team was one of the great teams, you know, of all time. Well, that was Mickey's favorite, he said. He thought they were the best team he played on. Oh, it was definitely the best team he played yeah, on. I mean, yeah. Though it, there's only there's only a couple of arguments. I mean, people like to bring the '98 team. I don't think the '98 team was as good as the '61 team. Uh, sure. th- now, uh, and thanks for the call. One of the teams, in the, you know, you can go back to Murderers Row. You can go back to the you know the '30s Yankees were the most efficient championship teams of all the teams. You know, when they had Gehrig and Dickey and DiMaggio and those guys, that's when they actually ran off the most championships. I mean, those were their most efficient teams. Some people will say they didn't get the glamour, but post-Ruth. But they, those teams were considered a lot of times the most efficient. But 61 was as good as it got because not only did they hit a lot of home runs in an expansion year and Marilyn Maris between them hit 115, the Yankees set a home run record that year. They had three catches, hit 20 home runs apiece. They had 115 home runs out of two players. Uh, They had a guy win 25 games. But they also were a superb defensive team. 
You had Mantle in center, who was a good player. You had Marison Wright, who was a great fielder. At that point, I'd call Mickey a good fielder, not a great fielder anymore. Uh, but Maris was a great fielder. Uh, they played a bunch of guys in left field, but they had Cleet Boyer at third base, who was the equal of Brooks Robinson. He wasn't as consistent, but he was flashy, and he was a brilliant third baseman. Kubek was a very good shortstop. Richardson was a great second baseman. And Scarron was good, not great at first base, but they were very, very good, and they had Elston Howard, who was an excellent defensive catcher. Yogi also caught, Blanche caught a little. They rotated the three guys. So, I mean, they had everything. They had deep pitching. Uh, one, without question, uh, without any question, one of the great teams of all time. I, I don't think there's any question. Steven Monfield, what's up, Steve? Hi, Mike. Thanks for taking my call. Yeah. I, I have three quick course racing questions. Uh, number one, I asked all the gamblers that I know, and nobody knows what the word Preakness means. Uh, number two, I'm I don't know. I don't know where Preakness comes from. I, I'm that that I don't know. Oh, okay. Uh, number two, uh, it's not really about the Preakness, but the movie Seven Days of May takes place around the Preakness. Do you think something like that could ever happen here? No, I don't believe so. And number three, uh, how do you think the time for this year's Belmont winner will compare? To secretary, it's much longer race. Forty-seven. Hey, there's no way to compare it. This is a mile and eighth race. I mean, there's no you, there's no way to compare a mile and eighth race to a mile and a half race. So, uh, and remember, Secretariat set the world record, and nobody has ever been within ten lengths of Secretariat in that but race mile, since. Mile and eighth will still be faster, I guess. Obviously, I know. No, 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 no. Again, Secretariat set the world record. Right. Right. In the Belmont. No one's ever come close to that. No one who's raced since then has ever come close to that time, ever. But this race will be shorter, so... Yeah, but again, but yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but how would you relate to it? I don't no, understand I, your point. No, I mean, I'm just saying he was so fast that if even, like, whoever won this race, if you gave him that head start, he'd still beat him. Something like that. I, know I don't understand that. what that means. What do you mean head start? Know, They'd still have to run a mile and a half. Right. Well, yeah, but I'm well, no, but I'm saying if if I I don't know what you're saying. Well, no, I mean if he started from a mile and a half away, and this horse started whoever. That's not how. That's not that. that that's not. That's not how they race. They don't race. Yeah, they don't. I know that. I, I oh, yeah, yeah, no, that makes no sense. I mean, listen, a mile and a half race is a mile and a half race. A mile and an eighth race is shorter than a mile and a half race. Right. I I understand that. So you know how long a furlong is. I not off the hand. Not okay, there the are eight mile. furlongs in a mile. Okay, so it's okay, all right. A a an island eighth race is how many furlongs? Uh, that would be. Uh, I'll I'll make it easy on you. Nine. nine. Okay, okay, and the triple and a, a mile and a half race is how many furlongs? There you go. Now you got it. Thanks. Thanks for the call. So it's three furlongs longer. So uh, again, it has no. There's no way to compare them. But my point is, don't compare anything to what Secretariat did in the Belmont. Nobody who's ever run has ever broken that time. That is still the world record for the time. Forget not just the Belmont time. It's the world record for the time. Two twenty four. It has never been broken. And as far as the Belmont, nobody's ever been within 10 lengths. The second fastest Belmont was Easy Goer. He ran 226. He would have been 10 lengths behind. John and Fairfield, what's up, John? And uh, I appreciate you uh, getting on Richard. Like these oblivious 
but names and players that he brings up every day, it just bores me to tears. I, so I, I thank you. Somebody uh, texted me that Preakness was the name of a horse in the early 1800s. So that's where the name came from. It was the name of a, of a horse. Hello? Yeah, go ahead. No, I, I, I was saying I, 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 I thank you for... No, I, I got your point on that. I was just answering the question from someone who asked what Preakness meant. I, and someone already texted me that Preakness was the name of a horse in the early 1800s. That's where the, na- okay. that's where the name for the race came from. It was the name of a horse in the early 1800s. Go ahead. What's up? Just to play devil's advocate, though, um, you know, and, and I mean this with all due respect, but do you think anyone, like, cares about these... Or, like, it's kind of the same thing with Richard when you bring up these Mickey Mantle, Bernie uh, Williams stats. I mean, Mike, come on, you're only on for an hour. I care about them. So listen, I'll tell you what, okay? I've been doing this for 35 years. Better than anybody know, else, okay? Now, that, yeah, and that, takes, and that takes a minute. Your phone call, which was worthless, took as long as that, uh, that took, which was absolutely worthless. So, uh, you know what? Uh, so save it, okay? You let, let, me, let, me fill, let me fill a show. I don't need you to fill a show, okay? When I need you to fill a show, I'll call you, okay? I'll decide what's good. I mean, come on now. You try and come up with something with a little perspective. We haven't had sports in three and a half months. I mean, have a clue, okay? At least a little bit of a clue. All right? I mean, you know, you, got, you, ha- you have to, you know, I, I'm not going to do some of the uh, silly stuff that's been done, all right, to fill the time, all right? I, that, that, that's, not, that's, not what I, that's not what I'm going to do, okay? So I find this interesting because I go back and look at two players that were my favorite players and, what they, and, and great Yankees who had great careers, and they were here in New York starring for 34 years combined. And the only team they ever played for was the Yankees. And on certain days like today, they had two of the great days they ever had on this date. And that's the point. Just putting those teams and, those, and between them, between them, they were parts of 11 World Series champions. And had a million big hits. And they're two of the best postseason players who ever lived. So that's why I find it interesting. I find it interesting to go back and reminisce about certain days that they had and go look at the lineup on that date. And you know what? I mean, maybe you don't realize you have to fill with some stuff because there's no sports going on every day. Zero. There's no sports. There hasn't been sports in almost four months. Bob Monticello, what's up, Bob? Hey, Mike. What's happening? I wanted, I wanted to talk to you quickly about the 2001 baseball season, just in light of this total disgrace that's going on right now with the baseball. I was living in the city, and, and I remember that Piazza home run was obviously, you know, bigger, as big as Kirk Gibson's home run as a kid. My question was this. I always felt like that loss, Game 7, was the biggest ever, because I felt like if we had had a parade in the, what's it called, the Canyon of Champions, Valley of Champions, Canyon of Heroes, Canyon of Heroes, yeah. If we, if we had had that parade after 9-11 and, like, New York, I always felt like broke my heart a little bit, that series lost, because we didn't have that celebration. Well, you know, sports, sports, brought, sports brought the city back and brought the country back during that time. It was a vehicle, uh, and thanks for the call, sports brought it back. I mean, whether it was on the football field with the flags out or whether it was uh, – Piazza's night, which was one of the most emotional uh, sporting events I've ever seen, or 
having the World Series games played here under incredible uh, security, having George Bush with basically an armor plate on. I mean, they sent him out there. I don't know how he threw the ball because he was dressed in like an armor suit so that they they were so worried about him being out there uh, in front of uh, that many people at that time. Um, I thought sports was a tremendous tonic. Uh, It served a tremendous, tremendous uh, role in bringing back the spirit of the city. In giving people an outlet, an emotional outlet, the athletes obviously served a role by going down to the uh, site and helping the volunteers or going down there and serving lunch or going to firehouses or all the different things that went on, okay, that all those athletes shared with the people in the city uh, going and, you know, deal with the families of the victims and just go in and give them a you know, pat on the back or whatever it was. And it did work wonders. This is a much more peculiar time. We haven't all rallied. We've been very divided. Instead of everybody rallying and wanting to fight the same fight and be angry at the same opponent, and want to help each other. Now we're incredibly polarized, incredibly divisive. Everyone's pointing blame at everybody else. Everybody's accusing everybody else. No one understands anything. There's been no real leadership. There's been no government plan. There's been no information you could hang your hat on. As we go into this, as we try to reopen sports now, we watch as our city gets better better, and now this thing breaks out in all over the country as you watch on the news every night. So again, we're watching as it breaks out in Oklahoma and breaks out in Arizona and breaks out in Texas and North Carolina and Florida and Georgia. And we're watching that unfold after we live through it being so intense in our cities for months. So we don't know what the heck's going on with this thing. Day to day, we don't know what's going on with it. So it's so different this time. And then you're right. Sports has been divisive, if anything. And we also have had all the unrest and all the racial issues on top of all the divisive issues with the pandemic. And our way of life has been stopped cold. And then sports has been stopped cold. So, And sports hasn't been able to leave because they just have to get in line because they don't know what to do. Nobody knows what to do. So it's made it a very divided time, a very polarized time. It's not anything like... 9-11 was focused and patriotic. This is polarized and very disjointed and very confusing. It's anything but like what we faced in 2001. And in that year, sports did bring us back. Piazza brought us back. The Yankees brought us back. That 2001 series, even though the Yanks lost it in seven, and it was a heartbreaking defeat. I was sitting there as it happened. It's a heartbreaking defeat, but you know what? It still was a great seven games and great games at the stadium, and it brought us back. All sports brought us back, and the athletes helped and contributed. This time it's different because everybody is a little lost right now, and we are so divided as a nation. We've... uh, We've probably never been as, well, I don't want to say never because there have been times in our history we have been, but very few times we've been as divided and as, and, and as uh, polarized as we are now. We'll see you tomorrow.
Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.